1: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.
0: listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. It's the podcast where I speak to artists and musicians about their various and precarious part-time jobs, past and present, which isn't really applicable for today's guest, Aidan Moffat, one half of Arab Strap and of many of his own solo records, who has only had one part-time job, which we get to hear about later. But nevertheless, we get to hear some great stories about the sort of workish aspects of what he's been doing. Nick's Not, his solo project, has a new record, Themes From. It's a great collection of sounds. It's an instrumental record that has all different kinds of sounds on it, and I recommend it. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, supported by 2000 Trees Festival, happening next July in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London. You can get the train down there pretty easily. I did that this year and had an excellent time. Even put up a tent and slept in it. They just made a massive announcement, which includes The Chisel, Joyce Manor, Crows, and So I Watch You From Afar, Rival Schools, who will be headlining the second stage, 100 Reasons, who are back, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, who are headlining Saturday. You can get four day tickets for 2,000 Trees. That includes Wednesday night on the Forest Stage, which is actually in a forest where you can see Holding Absence and Bob Villain. These latest release of tickets are running low and are about to sell out. If you want to get 20 quid cut straight off of your ticket, you can use the voucher code 101POD at checkout. That's all at 2000treesfestival.co.uk, one of my favourite independent festivals. They've got lots of great emerging and established artists from all over that come to Cheltenham for it. If you want to have a good time camping out with your friends and seeing some brilliant bands, without any corporate sponsorships or big fizzy drinks shoved in your face, this is the one. Cheers again for listening. This is Aidan Moffat.
2: I was never a particularly, uh, I was never particularly good at financial stuff and especially when you're young, you don't really think about that. So I think the hardest time was uh, when Adam Strap we signed to a major label in nineteen ninety nine, and we kind of lost track of where our money was going and what we were making. Now, don't get me wrong; we weren't making a lot of money, but when you get to a certain level, suddenly there is more people involved and more people taking a cut of your money, and things are happening that you don't really understand. And we learned the hard way that um, you have to uh, you have to keep on top of these things yourself. I mean, just over twenty years ago. Since then, I have done all the bookkeeping for uh, the businesses, I, um, you know, I kind of right. keep it, that, that's a sort of role that I have an uh, Arab abstract, but also my own stuff as well, because obviously, I mean, I've got so many other records and things. So, I, I mean, everyone sort of runs as a business, but as a self-employed musician, you know, I'm running myself as a business as well. So I, I've been doing all the bookkeeping and stuff like that since then, because what happened was we ended up getting a, an incredible tax bill, uh, and an incredible fine because <laughs> we went to this major label and the and the accountants that they had recommended, at least I think they had I'm sure they had, who dealt with a lot of musicians uh, and, you know, seemed to be very experienced and always to, always assured us that everything was fine. What happened was we when we left a major label and we moved all the operations back up to Glasgow, we discovered from our next accountant that um the people we had in London, they they hadn't filed a tax return in uh, years their job yeah like, like they, ha- they hadn't filed a single tax return or a vat return and uh, th- i think it was 3 years all the time that we were oh my we were there so not only did we have that money to deal with the the tax that was due Uh, When tax is late, you get a penalty notice on it, so you get an extra fee, and then you accrue interest on it. (laughs) So that I think that was the biggest shock uh, that came to us uh, from a business point of view. And from then on in, uh, we just you know we both just did everything ourselves. And as I say, I mean I did accounts at school. I did quite well in accounting uh, in high school.
0: Is it a case of sort of self-informing? I mean, uh, when I went to school, you know, we had business studies, mm. but I took business studies. They didn't teach us anything about accounts. That was GCSE level, though.
2: Uh, I mean, I, I don't actually have any. Uh, well, we call them higher here. I don't have any qualifications. Me in school didn't get on uh, very well, but um, <laughs> I did. I did enjoy the accounting class. So I, I had a, you know, I, I kind of understood about. Balance sheets and things, you know. So it, it wasn't too difficult to learn. But these days, it's much easier. All you need is an app, you know. I mean, the the stuff that I, I've been doing day to day is now literally just an app on your phone, <laughs> you know. So um, so it's much easier now. But um, certainly ten, you know, ten twenty years ago, that would be the the biggest advice I would give to any musician is make sure you know where your money's being spent and don't trust anyone. <laughs> we had a we had a manager at the time as well who was who um uh, absconded with a few grand and I think it turned out he had a gambling addiction or something. It was insane, you know. But this is what happened. You hear
0: these stories all the time. I mean, mm, there there, yeah. there almost isn't a celebrity that hasn't been entangled in some kind of issue. I mean, look, I, I I bumped into someone I went to I used to hang out at the skate park with, I bumped into him on the train the other day and he said he took a job five Five years ago, as a, as a kind of a model for ASOS. And he said he didn't know he had to pay tax on it. So when the money would land uh-huh. in his, his account, he didn't know. I mean, you know, look, there is an argument to say we should all inform ourselves. But look, if we're not taught at school, we're not really mm. taught by yeah, yeah. life that, that when you get paid, sometimes you need to question if you've got to pay tax. And as Billy Bragg said, talking to the tax man about poetry, yeah. you know, there's a, <laughs> yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a serious divisive. You know, there's a conflict there yeah. between art and and money and taxes. That's well,
2: not something you think about as well, especially you know, bear in mind this was, uh you know, the the late nineties to early two thousands. I, I mean, uh, we were having a great time. You know, everything. You know, you just you don't think about these things. Your band's doing well. You're you're going on tour. You don't. It just doesn't cross your mind that there are untrustworthy people out there. But you know, as you say, every musician's got a story like that because uh <laughs> the music industry does seem to be populated by a lot of vampires who will you know, people with no, and that's another thing I think to be honest, even now I think there's even more uh, a sense there's a lot of amateurs involved now don't get me wrong, I work with some wonderful people and um, you know there are some great people the majority of people I know who work in the music industry are great, but I think You know, a lot of people, like, there's a a lot of promoters out there who think anyone can just put on a gig. And, you know, especially in today's, I think social media is a part of that as well. Like, they think that you just need to do a couple of tweets about a gig and you'll sell tickets and things. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole infrastructure to promoting shows and stuff that a lot of people don't understand. And even people putting on festivals, there's a, I can't remember their name, so I can't name and shame them, but there's there's a group in Glasgow who did a festival who didn't pay any of the acts notoriously, right? And it was a complete disaster. So they just closed the company, opened a new company, and then they've got another festival on, <laughs> you know.
0: There's a thing about liquidation, right, where you don't have to pay back the yeah, money you earn. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So the music industry's always been full of cowboys and charlatans, you know, and it, it's, yeah. that'll never change.
0: So going into the early 2000s, after elephant shoe and you know around that time after being being sides to the, to the major and you know was was it the kind of like a steep learning curve of you know your band's getting successful you're traveling you can party and you can have fun with your pals Did, you know was there a time where it kind of leveled out a bit and you could sort of take stock of what was going on and you can mm. take a deep breath and you know try and sort of you Know, strategize for better, for lack of a better word. You know, it's not a very sexy word, strategize, (laughs) is it?
2: It's not a word that we would have used at the time, no, but (laughs) yeah, but no, I mean, we did. This was also another thing we had a luxury of doing back then. We took a year out, um, which you simply can't do anymore. If you're going to be a musician these days, you don't have the luxury of, of taking time out. I mean, you know, this was at a time when people were buying. Lots of records and lots of CDs and you know there was a lot of money coming in from uh the sale of music itself, uh, which obviously uh is completely decimated these days. And uh so it's it's like now you need to work ten times harder for a tenth of the income, <laughs> you know, because it's much harder. Now don't yeah. get me wrong, those were those were the the good old days, you know, and we were very lucky that we I mean, I think we kind of caught the tail end of that sort of culture. You know, that it mm-hmm. quickly died down in the 2000s, of course, when people started sharing music and stuff. And, you know, I, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, but it, it, was a, it was a very different culture. And, you, you know, we definitely had to learn to adjust to that. But, I mean, sorry, I'm jumping ahead there. Before that in the 2000s, yeah, what we did, we had the luxury of being able to take time off. And in that time, you know, you get your ducks in a row. You understand things. You know, I I got to grips with bookkeeping, and we got on top of the, the, the. Well, I was going to say not the mess we were in, because it wasn't us that put us in the mess. It was the the cowboys that were working for us. You know, so we dealt with other people's mess. Nice. <laughs> and you know, we nice. just yeah. you do you just sort of recalibrate a bit. I think, and um, also as well, we went we went back to our uh, chemical Underground, the independent label, which again was it was a risky thing to do we um we could have stayed we had the option of staying at the major label and uh, and we probably would have got uh you know more more of an advance we would have got more money uh pumped into the record and stuff you know cuz it's a big operation it was it was um the label was go Beat, but it was effectively universal but but for our sanity and our career we realized that it just wasn't working so we had to go back to the to chemical so and they very graciously took us back which was which was great you know and um were you recipients of cries
0: of sellout or, or was, there, was there anything like that going on for you
2: there wasn't that but people's attitudes did change in the uk it's, it was a strange one i think because we because when we moved to the major label i think a lot of people who were into the first two records maybe felt i don't know it's not like it it's not like it was sold out but it's like I think sometimes people feel that you don't need them anymore or something you know it's like well they're doing well they're on a major label I don't really need to care anymore I mean I, and I'm saying that from someone who has felt that himself you know I understand yeah. I understand that I was like that too you know I think uh, in those days especially those days uh before that I was a pretty militant guy about being on a an independent label and um and I am now too, haven't had the experience of being on a major label, but um,
0: you got the experience to know about yeah,
2: it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad I, I don't regret it at all. And but the strange thing was in the UK, I think people sort of uh, edged away from us a little. But also on the other side of that, because we were on a major label for the first time, we could afford a big tour in Europe, and this was a tour supporting the Tindersticks, who at the time in um, it was 1999, I think. They were massive in Europe. They were, we were playing big venues, supporting them, right. and it's not something we could have afforded on a major label, you know, because you know, I don't, I don't remember what the fee was, but obviously a support fee isn't going to sustain uh, a tour on a sleeper bus with you know six band and five crew and all this kind of stuff because when you're playing mm. the iron is when you're playing bigger venues like that you need more people to take and all this sort of stuff and to
0: do lights and to make sure it doesn't sound uh, bad we, and yeah it's just production. yeah
2: i mean we did i don't know if we had the luxury of lights but we certainly had sound uh and merch people to sell the merch as well because in these big venues you, you know you it's just impossible to do it yourself but well, it's not impossible but um
0: of course there's a big issue at O2 venues at the moment that are charging really uh,
2: steep that, percentages. That, That's just sheer. Uh, uh, this is, this is a, I was going to say, can I swear? But of course, this is a podcast. It's sheer fucking theft. I I I cannot deal with the fucking thievery of that nonsense. It's, you know, I'll I'll happily give you money if you've done something to help me. Like if you supply the merch person. That's fine. I'll get. I'll pay their wages. You know, I did that. Someone's being paid. Yeah, I I was doing that, and the last uh, time Arab Strap played London, like I just, I had been doing it myself uh, in some venues, and I just was exhausted. So we got something to do. Paid them. That's fine. You know, but um, giving a venue a cut of your merchandise is disgraceful, and I don't understand how this practice is allowed to to exist that yeah. something really has to be done about that, I mean also more yeah. bands need to say no as well, and, you know, and if the venues, you know, if enough bands say no and stop using these venues, then they'll soon change their mind. So I think that's important. But also sometimes it's a surprise, you know, they don't you don't find out about it until you, <laughs> you get there in the night sometimes, you know.
0: A couple of bands at the Roundhouse recently have been selling their, well, you know, have been speaking to the ke- to the kebab shop opposite saying, <laughs> look, we sell our DJs to the back there. I mean, look, after a gig, if you've had some beers, you want to go get a kebab. A Other idea. bands have been going to, you know, a, a, a sort of a more rock and roll bar down in Camden. So, you know, if the show's on a Saturday, go to the, rock and roll bar yeah, yeah a few stops on the tube and then come to the gig but i mean it's really interesting i mean that is hey that's one of the good things about social media you've got self esteem and yard act saying hey fuck you you don't do that so mm. so you know it, it, it does help give rise to it brings an audience to say no we as fans we don't want to mm. buy merch at your venue anyway so yeah that there, there, there has to be some power in the people there i
2: would i would add one a uh, wee caveat to that, the the one venue I'm happy to give a cut to is the Glasgow Barrowlands because it is still family owned, independently run, it doesn't even have its own PA system. A lot of people don't realise this about the Barrowlands, like every time you do a gig in the Barrowlands you have to hire the whole PA system and it costs a lot of money right, right. but people still do it because they love the venue and you know um, years ago when I, I was making a film where we did a lot of things in the Barrowlands and I, I met the, the the, the people who run it and the family who own it. So I'm quite happy to give them a little bit of money because uh, if, if I don't, then the, the venue is going to, it might not last. And the last thing you want is someone like O2 to buy it and then it just turns into this insipid shithole. You know I mean? Don't get me wrong, there's some O2 venues I'm sure are great, but you just don't. Right now, the Barrowlands has still managed to maintain its independence and its identity. So, yeah. you know, I don't mind. I'll, I'll give it, I'll give them a bit. I don't mind. Maybe not quite ten percent, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give them something.
0: <laughs> well, what a what a good influence. You know, whether whether you're an artist or or whether you're running a magazine or or doing whatever. You know, that kind of, having someone within your periphery that like Barrowlands, where you're staying independent. That's such a big win mm. for everyone, isn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, And it's, it, you know, I don't think they've really done much to it in the past 30 years either. It's still, you know, I like that it's shabby and everybody loves that about it, you know. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great, yes. Never, never do it up. Never paint it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Was Glasgow quite a good place to, to be, you know, throughout that time? I speak to a lot of people in, in expensive cities, London, New York. Has, has Glasgow always been a place that's home, but also somewhere that you could be sustainable, live, live within your means? Not, not... Spend too much time worrying about that.
2: Uh, yes and no. Do you know what? It's, it's funny. I mean, I'm not from Glasgow. I, I was born and grew up in Falkirk, but I moved here uh, at about the same time we were talking about earlier, about 1999. Uh, I moved here, so I've lived here for 20 odd years, and I've seen it change certainly. When I um, when I first moved over, uh, I got a flat in the West End, which in an area which is now completely unaffordable, like. And the West End's a funny one, like the... I lived in Hindland, uh, which is next to a place called Hillhead, and around there, there was a really buzzing culture. All the musicians lived around that area, you know, and there was a real... Uh, lots, lots of student flats as well, and lots of clubs and pubs, And uh, but it just got more and more expensive until everyone had to move out. So all the musicians are on the, side side, sorry, the south side uh, now, because... Um, because it's just too affordable uh, too unaffordable you know it's uh, to see it yeah i mean the west end like all west ends was already (laughs) quite a plush and expensive well not expensive it wasn't that expensive at the time but one of the reasons when i decided to leave is that, that like my my local corner shop became a peckham's and rye and i was like this is ridiculous you know i can't i can't afford to pay for for this sort of thing and um
0: so, I is Peckham's and Rye like a fancy? Ah, uh, yeah, sort of it name? was
2: a it was a sort of luxury food place. You know, it's uh, you know one of these very, uh, very posh sort of places. That you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's the stuff that it sold was tasty and, and great, but it was very, very expensive. But um, from a cultural point of view, I mean, Glasgow was always in the music scene a very supportive place. It was a great place to be in a band and. You know, in the certainly the late nineties when we were just starting, you know, there was so much going on all the time. You know, and I mean, I I say I lived in the West End. I'm not sure I was actually at home that often. (laughs) You know, there was something to do all the time. Uh, You know, there was always gigs, and uh, I. It was a very, very vibrant and supportive scene. I mean, you know. you knew have loads of people in bands, and they would all help you, and I it's great. It, and venues are very important, you know. you yeah, know, I think that's why Glasgow still has the edge over Edinburgh. Edinburgh has a, it doesn't have a great deal of good uh, small venues, and that's what you need for a to mm. have a, a vibrant, thriving scene. Good small venues where bands uh, can experiment, and you know, and you hear mm. things for the first time. So. Um, Aye, aye, no, that was a, a very, a very great time to be there, right?
0: In a similar sense of, you know, it kind of takes a village to raise a child. Mm. I think that about bands, I think it's quite yeah. easy to feel very unstable playing in a group or playing as a solo artist. Mm. So in that sense, having a local venue where maybe you can work behind the bar, some shifts nights, you know, a few nights a week or having friends where you can communicate and, you know, trade demos and basically sort of not feel so alone really yeah, yeah. um that seems to be a real a real trick like a real good way to live a kind of healthy lifestyle in in that sense i mean is is that something that you found after you know after the 90s and 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 going on beyond that because i suppose at some point you're going to get to a point in your career where you think okay i don't have to go to, you don't have to do every tour you're offered mm. you don't have to do everything that you're being asked to do you know you can Protect yourself in a sense. Did did that happen for you?
2: I think you naturally drift away from those things. I mean, all the bands that were part of that scene as well, I mean I mean look at them. Think people like Amogwai and Bell and Sebastian who are still going strong. You know, there's a lot of you know, obviously mm-hmm. once you, you naturally drift away because your time has, has gone, you know, and as you say that you know, the it has become your career now and people and you don't have to do loads of, of wee gigs and and you don't have to perhaps try and, you don't have to be part of the scene. It's strange, I suppose you kind of feel like you've, like you're sort of handing the baton a wee bit, if you if you last long enough, if you're lucky to, enough to last long enough, you, you feel like you're sort of passing the baton in, in a sense. It's like, you know, it's it's young people's game now. You know, it's like, I kind of feel like that. I mean, I try to stay as engaged as I can, uh, but I don't, you know, I was saying this uh, the other day, we just did our last gig of the year on, uh, it was last weekend, I can't even remember what day it was. But, um, and I haven't seen any bands in a venue since something like March, I've seen I've seen quite a few bands because we've been playing festivals, and I've been part of that. But actually, just going out to a gig in a venue in Glasgow, I haven't done that. I, think, I think March was the last time, and I think <laughs> curiously, I think the last time was Billie Eilish at the Hydro. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great! How was that? You were a fan of Billy Island? It
2: was. It was a great show. Aye, I, I do. I really like that second album. I, I, the first one's great, but I thought the second one's amazing. Yeah, and I went with uh James from Twilight Sad. It was a, <laughs> it was a big night out for us. So we <laughs> went to see Billy Island. <laughs> but um, excellent. Aye, as I say, I mean that that that's bizarre. That is the last gig I went to in Glasgow. I mean, I've got a few on the horizon. I want to go to and uh, you mentioned self esteem earlier. I've got tickets on my phone and my wee Apple wallet for self esteem, but I think that's in February or something like that. But um great, right, yeah. I, I and yeah. I do I do feel that I need to engage a bit more. And I've actually got a really good venue just up the road from me. I live in the in Mount Florida and just up the road in uh Shorelands is a it's called the Glad Cafe and it's a really yeah, it's like a hundred capacity sort of place and they're always doing really interesting me gigs and you know, I, I mean, it's not quite the new year, but my end of tour resolution was I need to get out the fucking house more. <laughs> so, um, so I that's what I'm going to do. I've my for the next we, I, we haven't got another gig planned until I mean, we haven't anything booked at all, but we're going to start touring again in next summer, maybe just festivals. I think just a few festivals or something. Brilliant. So, um, Brilliant. my plan for the next six months is to go out as often as I can. <laughs>
0: hundred one part-time One hundred one part-time one part-time One one part-time With themes from the Nick's Not album. Hmm. Is there anything that you've learned or, or ideas that you've really developed over the last year or two making this record?
2: The Nick's Not records. Uh, I mean, this is the second one, and you don't, And then the, when I make an instrumental record, it's, it's an escape. More than anything else, you know, it's not. I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm. Tr- I'm I mean, I'm very lucky that I have a job, which is actually like a, a holiday. You know, people. uh the the privilege of being a musician, or at least in my sense, I mean, I'm not not all musicians feel like this. But to me, my happy place, my uh, my calm space, is when I'm working. You know, when I'm making music, and that's where these records come from. They come from. I mean, things I've learned is probably just getting to better grips with technology at home and things because I made it all at home and um, maybe learning about composition a bit more and, you know, technical stuff like that. But from a an emotional point of view, I don't think it's anything other than just escapism for me and mm-hmm. hopefully taking someone on the same sort of journey that it, it takes me on, you know.
0: Are you happiest when you're fully engaged in it?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, sitting with my face on a computer and headphones on and making any kind of music, you know, and there's, I mean, there's records that you hear, but there's other stuff, you know. I've got about three albums on my laptop just now that I'm just working away at here and there. Like, I was working on some cover versions this week, and I don't even know what to do with them because releasing cover versions is an expensive business, especially <laughs> streaming. I mean, you know, uh, if you stream a cover version, You're not even getting your 0.000 whatever. You know, you're getting a fraction of that. Mm. (laughs) So it's so it's and then if you release a record, you need to pay the MCPS up front as well. So that could be really expensive, especially if you're making a lot of records. So um I don't know why I'm doing it. I think I might just give it away or something because that seems like the easiest thing to do. And like but you know, there's, there's things like that I do just for fun and sort of practice as well. I think I, you know, it's just a way to keep active, because the more I'm working and stuff, the more I'm learning about sounds and mixing and, you know, how to get a good thing going at, at home anyway, so um but, yeah, you know, with Arab, Arab Strap's slightly different in that I only really do demos for Arab Strap at home and then we, we always go to the studio and finish it, but um you know, and, and I like that there's a, you know, the the guy we work with, we've been working with we have known him for years, Paul Savage, who's a, the drummer in the Delgados, and he's an he's an amazing engineer. Takes his fucking time, right enough. I do, If you're listening to this, Paul, I mean, how many cups <laughs> of fucking coffee do you need in a day? But <laughs> it's um, it's uh, he's brilliant, and uh, you know, he's he's a he's a big part of that as well. And he does it like he mastered the Nick's Not album as well. So you Great. know, he's he's someone I go to, and he keeps encouraging me to to uh, get better at home and, he, and then uh, I don't I, I, I keep pointing out you know the better I get the less I'm going to need you and he's like no oh, right enough you know so at some point he's going to stop giving me advice I think
0: <laughs> there's some amazing soundscaping and instrumental music you mentioned listening to the you know you're listening to the radio quite a lot I hmm? mean Mary Ann Hobbs's show on Six Music is, is great because she plays some real far out well,
2: stuff I, to be honest I, I wasn't talking about Six Music I'm a Radio 3 man these days Aye, yeah, I've been, uh, nice. there's a program on radio three i don't really have time to listen to six music during the day sometimes i'll i'll put matt Riley on sometimes when i'm at, at, i was going to say making the dinner but when it's when it, dad's making a dinner it's usually just putting something in the oven like fucking chips and <laughs> fish fingers you know <laughs> but you know but i try and listen to matt Riley when i can but i just don't really have the time in the day and then when it gets to night my favorite radio program is night tracks on radio 3 it's on mondays to thursdays from uh, half 10 to midnight i think i don't know cuz i never listen to it live I, I listen to it in bed when i go to bed uh, on the, the i player and it's great it's all uh, it's quite classical based you know a modern classical and you know there's a, mm-hmm. a bit of jazz and a bit of, a bit of everything it's it's really really great show and I, I love that it takes me i mean i never i don't know how hardly any know any of the people on it in fact when something comes on that i do recognize i've like punched the air it's like fucking it, yeah at last <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <something> I, <laughs> yeah. but you know yeah. every time i listen to it it has a wee link on the i player and on the app you know you can go and hey, add it to your your uh your uh streamer streaming service here and um I do that every morning. I'm like, like, click, click, click. And then I've got, you know, three albums on my Apple Music to listen to, which I right. don't know when I'm going to get around to listening to them because I yeah. don't have the time. Yeah. So then yeah. I'll put them on my phone. And then the next day, good night, I'll just listen to the radio show again. Because that's, that's you know, it's exciting hearing new stuff, uh, I think. But um, daytime radio is just, I just don't have the time anymore.
0: Are you a fan of Andrew Wazalik? Are you aware? Ah, of Andrew no, Andrew, Wazelick? yeah,
2: yeah, 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 he's great. I'm a big fan. Yeah,
0: of, you know, it's sort of that was my introduction to a lot of instrumental music. You know, it's, it's quite new for me, really. Right, right. If you've got any tips for me,
2: I've. Where's my phone? Hold on. I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you what I've been listening. What about <laughs> the Andor soundtrack? You know that Star Wars show, the Andor. Uh, Andor. <laughs> yeah, I downloaded that because <laughs> there's some brilliant music in it. It's a guy that did the theme for uh, Succession. Brilliant. Gerina is a, an instrumental record. That's that's a very strange, okay. jazzy thing. Jekaszek, uh is... Uh, I, I, I don't know how to explain that one, but it's, it's this really <laughs> gritty, almost horror film sort of soundtrack thing.
0: How do you spell it? J-A...
2: J-A-C-A-S-Z-E-K. Uh, yeah. That's a great one. I listen to that at night very... Very often,
0: brilliant. Uh, brilliant, Ian
2: William Craig. He's made a couple of records. I've been listening to, to a lot. He's he's good. He does. Nice. Um, he's like a classical singer, uh, classically trained, but he does. Uh, he records his vocals and then manipulates them with tape machines, and just it sounds okay. fucking incredible. He's, his last two records brilliant. are great.
0: I'm going to get on that after this. Thanks so much, Aidan. You're you know, very welcome. A lot of jobs I've worked, I've, I've made a lot of gaffes. I've fucked it up. I smash things and I break things and I, <laughs> I piss people off just by being a bit clumsy sometimes. Have you got any go-to sort of stories or anecdotes from times in part-time jobs where, where you've made a few gaffes? Well,
2: I've only, I only ever had one other job, one proper job. And I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I did okay at school. Uh, and then I discovered music and drink, and then I didn't do okay at school. Uh, I ended up getting expelled, so I was, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And uh, could I ask what you got expelled for? I just being generally shit and not going and not turning up and just not engaging, and they just got fed up with me and said, look. You don't want to be here. Fuck off. So, like, was, you, know, you know, bang to rights, mate. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> and um, so uh, after that, I mean, I was terrified. You know, I had no qualifications, no prospects whatsoever. But uh, a friend of mine who worked in the record shop, Sleeves and Falkirk, he was just uh, he was just about to leave and recommended that I get the job to the boss. So I went in and did a trial. Uh, which was basically just tidying up as I recall <laughs> so like, it was done it was basically a three days labor <laughs> that was it. and I just tidied up their shit and that was it <laughs> and I, and I got the job and I worked here for nearly five years until until Arab Strap I, I, <laughs> I left the record shop because I had a hangover I mean I, I was st- <laughs> I was starting to hate the job anyway it's it I mean, I loved being around the records, and I loved being engaged in the local scene, and in a town like Falkirk, you know, you know everyone, and you know what they buy, and there was a wee indie club that we, uh, one of my friends put on, uh, you know, and it was a really close-knit scene, and I loved being part of it, and I loved dealing with the people who bought shit records as well, you know, it was good fun, I loved all that stuff, I wasn't... I mean, I might have been one of those horrible high fidelity style pricks at one point, you know. But but you know, generally, I was always quite—I'd like to think I was relatively respectful. But every now and again, somebody will find me on Twitter and say that I was a bit rude to them when they bought a certain record. <laughs> you know, that was that was all part of the job. But um, it became really hard because. After I was expelled from school and all that, but when I was 18, uh, I was eligible to pay the the poll tax, which I refused to do uh, on political grounds. But that caught up with me because once I had a job, uh, the council started arresting my wages. Now, the wages were shit to start with. It was like £90 a week. And then they were arresting half of that. So I was on £45 a week, which is why I still lived with my parents at that point in my early 20s because I couldn't afford to go anywhere else, you know. So um, I, it just became unbearable. And in retrospect, leaving the job was a fucking stupid move because um, uh, I don't know what the rules are now, but then if you left a job voluntarily, you had got hardly anything in, in government help at all right so right. then i was on the absolute bare minimum of dole living with my parents and uh although that and it sounds quite miserable and it was quite miserable but I also seemed to be having an awful lot of fun <laughs> at that time and that's where Adam strap came from that's where it was sort of birthed because malcolm was on the dole at the time as well and you know with all you know when <laughs> you know when dole day came you know every second friday you go to the pub at lunchtime and just spend it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but concurrently, we had started making music and, and stuff, so that that's kind of what birthed it. So, um, but I don't. I mean, that that is probably the the, the, the stupidest story. I mean, there's a lot of good stories from Rock rocking a record shop, but there you go. There's the, the main one. I wouldn't recommend to anyone to leave a job uh, just because they've got a hangover. I was fuck. I had a really big night out before. And the boss was raging at me. I had been 30 minutes late. He was quite right to rage at me. Of course he was. But um, but um there I was getting shouted at, uh, feeling miserable for £45 a week. And I was like, fuck this. And left. Yeah, which in retrospect was kind of <laughs> stupid. But it did get me to hear right now speaking to you and telling you about it so you know
0: <laughs> it's funny when you got those I had plenty of moments when I would have sort of five quid in my bank account and knew I'd get paid 50 quid again next week and well you do you just go out to the pub don't you, yeah. you spend it what's the point of trying to save five quid yeah, it yeah. doesn't happen does it I was
2: always, had a good friend who was a postman as well and they're <laughs> and, you know the postman shift they were all drunk by one in the afternoon too so it was like <laughs> it was it would always be the, uh, us dull kids and a couple of postmen <laughs> fucking ripped on a f- every second Friday afternoon
0: <laughs> brilliant Aiden. thank you so much
2: oh cheers man thank you
0: so there was Aiden Moffat here on 101 part-time jobs the new Nick's Knot record themes from is out now you should go and listen to it see you next week or maybe later this one with a new episode go well cheers here's Cox I've been working all day for right me on the side running around like a blue-arse fly i working for i the i been working for This is a Mighty Moon
2: Media Podcast.
1: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.